Abortion is tragically the leading cause of death yet again in 2021. Democrats are accidentally fighting the sexual revolution. Abortion is declining in Israel despite pro-abortion pushback. American states are preparing for the likely overturning of Roe v. Wade and more coming right up. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pulse, a monthly roundup of abortion-related news from around the world brought to you from a pro-life perspective. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. And with me again is my wonderful co-host, Cameron. How are you, sir? I am doing well. I am excited about this slightly new format. If, if you're just tuning in audio, you're probably not going to tell a whole lot of difference between this and past Pulse episodes. But for a bunch of those past ones, if you tuned in on YouTube, Peter and I basically try to pretend that we were news anchors. We would get all like done up in our, our suits and ties and everything. We'd have these green screens behind us so that we would have the cityscape and try to do this super polished professional and largely based on your feedback as the audience, and by that I mean like of the hundreds of people that listen to all of our episodes, like from four or five people, um, they suggested we take a little bit more of a laid back approach, kind of like most of our other episodes, which are a little bit more down to earth. And so we're going to give that a go. Let us know what you think about this slightly tweaked format, particularly if you're a YouTube kind of person, if you want us to have the pretend cityscape behind us. Believe it or not, my office isn't actually oriented on the riverbanks with over um, overlooking the Calgary downtown cityscape, and neither is Peter's. Um, if you want to come back with a formality and polish, let us know, and we will consider it. But yeah, let's dive into the news, Peter. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's start with um, the abortion statistics. We are into a new year, 2022. And last year, I mean, was crazy, kind of like the year before it. And so in a world that was panicked by a pandemic and the government responses to it, I think many people forgot about the fate of millions of preborn children around the world. According to Worldometer, which is a reference website that tracks major world statistics, and get this, 42.6 million children were killed in the womb by the end of the year. Now, think about this, 42.6 million children. Contrast this with 8.2 million people who died from cancer, 5 million people from smoking, 1.7 million from HIV AIDS, and 1 million from suicide. Abortion, uh, according to Worldometer, Worldometer, accounted for 42% of all deaths in 2021. Cam, what are some of your reflections as you think about this? Yeah, I mean, it it's difficult to even fathom what that number actually represents, right? Like, uh, I don't know who said it. I, I feel like it was somebody like super controversial, not controversial. I, I don't think controversial gives justice to what Joseph Stalin did. But I'm pretty sure Stalin was the one who said, um, you kill one person and it's an injustice. You kill hundreds or thousands of people and it becomes a statistic. It's difficult to fathom 42 million people, right? Like that's more than the population of Canada. And this is tragic. This is something, unfortunately, abortion has been the leading cause of death for years and years, if not decades. Um, and it should go without saying that we're obviously not taking anything away from cancer, heart disease, suicide, these tragic um, other situations and occurrences and whatnot. This isn't a matter of saying like, oh, we need to stop worrying about cancer and, and start worrying about abortion. We just need more people worrying about abortion as well, right? And so this is something that um, will hopefully 
propel us as the pro-life movement towards even greater action, we have an awful long way to go. Um, and yet, as we talk regularly about on this podcast, that there are effective strategies for making an impact for the individual in front of us. And so just a few other thoughts before I throw it back to you, Peter. Um, I think it's important to recognize in 2022 as well that we need to redeem our time a little bit more efficiently. And and that isn't to condemn pro-life people. We've been working incredibly hard. But as Manuela Steiner from Pro-Life Europe has, has laid out very eloquently on our colleague Jonathan Van Maren's podcast, pro-abortion advocates were able to use the pandemic far more to their advantage than we've been able to to ours. Doesn't mean that we didn't work hard. Doesn't mean that we weren't um, doing everything that we could for preborn children. It just goes to show that um, the pro-abortion movement used this time to bring into um, occurrence male-out abortions where you can have abortion pills, RU46, as we've covered on the podcast before, delivered to your home. This is happening around the world. And if we're not careful, and even if we are careful, this might stick around, right? Even after the pandemic lessens uh, with the restrictions and everything. And so we need to be looking for how do we redeem our time the most efficiently, most effectively, and there is encouragement, right, that during the pandemic, as we've covered, especially on the Pulse, there have been nations like Honduras, like the Dominican Republic, like others, Malta, that are still standing as kind of this shield of protection around preborn children where they have enshrined pro-life legislation or, or uh, protections against pro-abortion legislation so deeply in their constitutions that it's impossible to bring um, killing of children to their shores. You look at what's happened in America, you look at what's happened around the world, there is a tremendous amount of good that is happening. And so we need to continue driving this forward and really look at 2022 as an opportunity to make the biggest difference possible because this is going to be a bit of a powder keg year where um, a lot is going to start happening regardless of whether pro-lifers are prepared for it or not. And so that's what comes to my mind. Peter, what do you think? Yeah, that's great. On the, the first note that you shared, I thought back to a conversation we recently had with Dr. Monica Miller mm -hmm. uh, about abortion victim images. And we talked briefly about the fact as well that there are just so many children, it's impossible for our minds to fathom the enormity of the issue. And she she highlighted the importance of focusing on one. You know, in Canada, we have 300 children a day lose their lives to abortion, 100,000 a year. There's a million or so in the United States, um, something like 3,200 a day. Uh, and around the world, you could think of all these big numbers and 42.6 million worldwide. But she says focus on the one, the one little boy and the one little girl who lost their lives because they were burned to death or or torn apart limb from limb from their mother's womb. And that's when we really get an understanding of what abortion is. And I think that motivates so many of us, Cam, uh, to continue on in the pro-life movement. I don't know who it was that that came up with this um, uh calculation, but they said that if we decided or if we chose to give each of these children a single moment of remembrance, uh, just to put it in perspective a little bit, we would have to be silent for over 80 years. And so that is, I mean, again, it's hard to fathom, um, but that does give a little bit of an insight into how many preborn children this actually is, and that just in one year. Now, that's bad news, obviously, and we continue to work in 2022 for those pro-life wins, whether big or small, and for those conversations. I mean, we, you and I can, we focus a lot on on-the-street conversations and uh, and just, you know, one, one after another of those conversations, seeing people change their minds and seeing lives saved. 
Now, some good news as well, um, which was very interesting and surprised a lot of people, I think. And that is that uh, Democrats in Oklahoma, you know, they've been caught accidentally fighting back on the sexual revolution. An Oklahoma lawmaker filed a bill that would declare a biological father's financial responsibility to his child and his mother begins at none other than the moment of fertilization. Uh, Representative Forrest Bennett, he's a Democrat from Oklahoma City, announced that he filed House Bill 3129 in response, listen to this, hear this, in response to the push to restrict abortion rights in that state. And this is what he wrote. He wrote it on Twitter. This week I filed HB 3129, which codifies that a father's financial responsibility to his baby and their mom begins at conception. If Oklahoma is going to restrict restrict a woman's right to choose, we sure better make sure the man involved can't just walk away from his responsibility, end quote. And to that, Cam, I, I give a, a hearty amen. Indeed. I, I laugh when um, pro-abortion Democrats, like if this was well-intentioned, then then props to him. But I, as has been very evident in his response afterwards, um, this was proposed tongue in cheek of like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to stick it to those pro-lifers. If, if they're going to try to make it so that abortion is inaccessible, I'm going to push this right back at them and they're going to hate this. When in reality, pro-lifers love this. Obviously, we think that um, both parents, mother and father, should be intimately involved in this child's life right from the very beginning of their life at fertilization. And that obviously includes financial responsibility. We're, we're huge proponents of this. I'm sure that the vast majority of Republicans would have supported this. And if they wouldn't, then shame on them. Right. I, I think it's hilarious. It makes me think of, I don't remember what state it was. I want to say Mississippi or something where um, the women, there, there was pro-life legislation that went into place and, and a bunch of women, a bunch of celebrities said, you know what we're going to do to fight this? We are going to stop having sex with men if we're not married to them. And then a whole bunch of Christian pro-lifers were like, oh, that, that sounds like a great idea. Like, we're all about that. Like, um, uh, I think that some of them went even further and said, you know what, unless men are willing to um, enter a contract of long-term support and fidelity to these women, we're not going to have sex with them ever again. To which a bunch of pro-lifers responded, that sounds an awful lot like marriage to us. Um, and we're all for that. <laughs> and so I think it's hilarious when Democrats um, stumble over their own feet in their ivory towers and whatnot. Uh, unfortunately, obviously, this got repealed back um, after he got absolutely hammered on Twitter with a whole bunch of pro-abortion people being like, dude, what are you doing? You're acknowledging that human life begins at fertilization. Um they, uh, this guy pulled back the bill. He pretended as though it was a joke, but but he was pretty, pretty beat red. I'm sure that he got lashed pretty severely by the the pro abortion Democrats um, in his neck of the woods. And so, I think it's funny. I think that if only there were more Democrats that were willing to work together on actually solving the problems that face our society and not killing children as a makeshift response to so many of the problems that demand better solutions. We'd be in a much better place. That obviously doesn't absolve Republicans of, of any culpability on that. They certainly need to work much more diligently as well for these better solutions. But um, it's always nice to have a bit of a chuckle over people not understanding the sexual revolution whatsoever. Yeah. And talking about responses to pro-life legislation, I want to hear what you think about this, Cam. And this comes out of Texas. According to the New York Post, and I quote, Men in Texas are protesting the abortion ban by any means necessary. 
One urology clinic in Austin reported about a 15% increase in scheduled vasectomies since the law went into effect on September 1, according to a Washington Post report. The minor surgery cuts and seals the supply of sperm, thereby averting pregnancy. Austin Urology Institute's Dr. Kaushik Shah told the Washington Post that clients are telling him, hey, I'm actually here because some of these changes that Texas Governor Greg Abbott and our legislature have passed that are really impacting our decision making in terms of family planning. Shaw continued, this was, uh, that was a new one for me as a reason. The first time patients are citing a state law as their motivating factor. Now, Kim, the other one from Oklahoma City, uh, I think, you know, we can get completely on board with that. But this one brings a little bit more, uh, perhaps a mixed bag of feelings in one way. You, you sort of like, hey, that's, you know, less babies are going to be dying. But, but there's another side to that as well. So maybe um, reflect on what's happening in Texas with the rise in vasectomies. Exactly. Like you said, it's a mixed bag and, and you're of two minds, obviously, as pro-lifers would naturally be, many pro-lifers, uh, presumably, um, in that, yeah, we celebrate the fact that there's going to be fewer children killed in Texas. But this really shows how deeply rooted the sexual revolution has taken over so much of, of our society, our culture. Right? There are men that are willing to compromise not only their their long-term fertility right this isn't a snip snap snip snap kind of thing and you can regain your fertility at a moment's notice this this is a surgery that is very likely going to limit your ability to have children ever and there are fellas who are saying you know what i would rather have the immediate gratification of being able to have sex with whomever i'd like right now than any kind of assurance that I'll be able to have children sometime later. The fact that these guys can't keep it in their pants until they get married, like it's it's really sad, right? Like we can joke about it. Our, our colleague, Jonathan, I, I've mentioned him already. Uh, if you're not following the Van Maren show, um, you should follow it. Check him out at thebridgehead.ca as well. Um, fantastic content. It is tempting and to be fair, cathartic to be able to um, talking in some ways about this, but it is so sad that there are guys that, that look at this as, you know, this is my only option. I, I have to get a vasectomy if I'm going to keep up my lifestyle without changing their lifestyle. It, it's really, really sad. It shows just how deep the sexual revolution is. And so far, how much beyond the conversation about abortion we really need to have, right? We need to start the conversation about abortion because there are literally children dying day in and day out, like you talked about. We have a burning building and there are people in that building. But you know what? Long after we evacuate all of the people from that burning building, we have to finally teach people how to stop setting their buildings on fire, how to stop this perpetual lifestyle of putting yourself in terrible situations where you're not prepared to have children or care for your children. And guess what? This isn't a major, major sacrifice. This is a very um, manageable, I will say, change of lifestyle that you can do that will be fulfilling in so many ways. And and I'm not going to go on and on about this because this isn't um, a theology of the body show. This is just a let's talk about the pro-life news. And so um, it's sad that that men are resorting to this, but in some ways it's good that they're not killing their children anymore. They're not going to other states where abortion is still legal or anything like that. I hear you, Cam. I get the urge to get into those worldview conversations as well that are far larger than the abortion one. And I think those are, are particularly important, those worldview conversations and need to be had 
But as pro-life activists, specifically, you know, on the, the abortion topic, it's also important to remember that, you know, we need to go out there and have those conversations about abortion so that more and more children are being saved. So yeah, mixed feelings here. Um, yes, children are going to be saved in the, maybe not saved. It's just that less children will be conceived, which means less children will be killed. Um, but certainly, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not the intended effect of this law. It's one of the, the unintended side effects, if you will, um, that shows that side of where people are uh, in terms of sexuality and all of that. With this, Cam, we move to Israel. And before I dive into Israel, I just want to share one thing. Um, for those of you around the world who have abortion-related news from your part of the world uh, that we might miss, do send it to us. Uh, you can do that on our website, ProLifeGuys.com. There's a contact form. You can do that on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the ProLife Guys so that we can share what's going on in your neck of the woods. Maybe it's some pro-life outreach that you've been doing um, and, and some success that's been had or or maybe not success. Maybe there's been some challenges. Uh, do reach out to us. We love hearing from you and uh, getting more and more content on this program. Now, back to Israel. Despite fairly accessible abortion legislation, which is similar, Cam, to what we had pre-Morgenthaler uh, here in Canada, where you needed to apply to obtain an abortion, Israel's abortion rate is decreasing rapidly. Uh, rapidly, It's decreasing. And uh, get this, this is largely due to the pro-life movement's educational efforts, even throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. The health ministry reported that there were 16,430 abortions in 2020. This was down 5% since 2019. And this is despite, Cam, increases in population in 2021, uh, or since since 2000, rather. And even then, both abortions and abortion, abortion requests have continued to go down. Because of this, pro-abortion attempts to further increase accessibility by removing the application process are being met largely with shrugs from the Israeli pro-life movement as they've seen the success of continuing their educational campaigns and see those campaigns as the greatest deterrent to abortion rather than uh, sort of like a legislative loophole, like uh, maybe not loophole, but, uh, you know, um, jump hurdle, <laughs> um, like the application process. Now, Cam, you and I work for an educational pro-life organization here in Canada, part of the educational pro-life movement uh, here in uh, the, the nation. And that's what this podcast is dedicated to as well. So what are some thoughts hearing that uh, the abortion rate is decreasing? The pro-life movement is saying this is because the ongoing educational efforts on the ground. Yeah, I mean, it, it's incredibly edifying that that there is a path forward that can bring about success. Because like you said, um, th there's a huge amount of access to abortion still in Israel, right? That, that this isn't a matter of a tug of war of pro-life and pro-abortion proponents on these therapeutic abortion committees or whatever. They report that over 99% of abortions that are applied for are approved. Right. And so people who want to have abortions are still having them. But thankfully, they're decreasing the number of people who want to have abortions anyways. And that's still a long ways off, I feel like, for one main reason. When we talk about CSPR strategy and, and ultimately the strategy of the educational arm of the pro-life movement, we talk about how there's arguably three steps. We've got that widespread discomfort to help people tether the issue that is often abstract for a lot of them to the individual victims and, and really make all considerations about the injustice to be um, tied to that victim. That's the first step. The second step is categorical. Um, yeah, 
change, uh, sorry, <laughs> oh, I'm blanking on, on how to pronounce, um, categorical shift, categorical shift, um, to like, um, formal opposition towards the injustice and then mobilization. And a lot of what they've been able to do in Israel is based on the mobilization of the pro-life movement by bringing pro-life policy into institutions. My colleague Kyle from uh, my colleague, our colleague Kyle from Winnipeg, he's a champ. Um, he talks often about the role that institutions play in the abortion conversation, whether it's enabling or hindering the conversation around abortion, that as we're talking to people on street corners and on doorsteps, we are trying to meet with teachers and admin staff and nurses and nurse staff and people who have the control to facilitate the dialogue that is happening now in Israel, right? Because Peter, you and I speak occasionally in Christian schools, Christian high schools and whatnot. Sometimes our speaking requests are even denied there. Certainly they're denied in public high schools, generally speaking. If we could get Canada to the spot where public high school teachers and admin were saying, you know what, we're pro-life, we're going to make this happen in our public high school. And we get that not everyone's going to agree with it, but we can at least provide this side of the debate then hopefully we'll be able to achieve some of the stuff that is happening already in Israel. And so that all to say, you are audience, you are listener. We love your involvement, your personal involvement. We want to invite you to even consider what professional involvement looks like, not working professionally for the pro-life movement necessarily for CCBR or other pro-life organizations, but how do you integrate your pro-life conviction into your profession? That's going to be different for everybody. Right. I, I mean, if you're an architect or an engineer, it's going to be difficult to like steep that in in pro-life conviction. However, if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, if you're a teacher, if you are a tradesperson, a lot of trades unions, for whatever reason, have incredibly strong stances on abortion. Right. We got protested by the metal workers union um, all the way across Canada. And so if you're involved in something that has a union, look at your policies and what kind of things do you support and not support and look at how you can get involved on a institutional level, I suppose, so that we can follow in the footsteps of what's happening in Israel. Perfect. And with that, we go to our final news item. This is back to the United States, into California. Now, just to start things off, Cam, we had a conversation with Mark Lee Dixon from Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn, an initiative that's, I think it's in three states now, maybe four at this point, and they are seeking to bring abortion, in, in a sense, abortion abolition to individual cities um, to put legislation through municipal legislation to make abortion completely illegal, which includes the abortion pill, and, uh, and any procedure that ends the life of preborn children. When we think about sanctuary cities, Kim, we often think about sanctuary cities in terms like that, a, a place of protection for a vulnerable person. So sanctuary cities for the unborn, uh, a place of protection for preborn children, a, a sanctuary city for refugees, whether you agree with them or not, or what your political stance is on them, they represent a place of safety from the, from, from the law, from others, um, for the refugees and, and for these folks. But California has is using sanctuary city in a different way uh, because California Governor Gavin Newsom at the end of last year announced plan, plans to make the state into an abortion sanctuary. And not even two months later, he's already moving forward with a new budget proposal that would offer massive financial incentives to, for abortionists. A lot of states are preparing for the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which uh, we certainly are hoping and praying will happen soon um, in, in a way that they're going to add more protections to preborn children. And California's uh, Governor Newsom 
is using sanctuary as a place to end the lives of preborn children and preparing for the Dobbs versus Jackson case in that way. And so his 2021-2022 state budget is offering an incentive program for medical students who decide to become abortionists. The $20 million program will either pay off existing student loans for practicing abortionists or be offered as scholarship money for medical students who pledge to become abortionists. Other parts of Newsom's abortion sanctuary plan include public funding for abortion vulnerable women to travel to California to undergo abortions. The funding would pay for things like gas, lodging, transportation, and child care, ironically enough. But ostensibly, no such aid will be given to pregnant women who are not interested in uh, an abortion. Cam, what are your thoughts when you think about uh, an abortion sanctuary there in the United States? I mean, it again, I ironically, I feel like I'm a bit of two minds of it. I think that on on one end, it's obviously tragic that I mean, California's the worst. California's the worst for so many reasons. Like if, if it wasn't for people like Seth Gruber and Greg Cunningham and people that I know living in California who are doing incredible stuff, um, I, I would write off the state entirely there. There's so much polluted, social, terrible, everything there. And and again, I if you're in California, um, praise God that you're there. Because if you're listening to this show, you're probably doing some really good work there. I'm glad that there's good people in California. There's just an awful lot of people that have a really warped sense of how to thrive as a society. And so it's really discouraging to see them wanting to set up California as an abortion sanctuary state. It obviously sends chills down me because I, I'm sure that Canada is, I mean, Canada is already the 51st state of America in some ways anyways, and we're going to become a sanctuary state for abortion as well because Justin Trudeau would love nothing more than um, to further increase our support of abortion. But I think that it's really encouraging, believe it or not, on the other end, right, that they are having to incentivize people becoming abortion providers because they don't have enough abortion providers already. They are having to try to trick, steal, or barter people into becoming abortion providers because they're worried about losing abortion access. And so I think that that's really encouraging, and I think that speaks to um, the the success of the pro-life movement, that they're having to get so desperate. I mean, they've already um, decreased the medical expectations that are there. They're already blatantly violating the law by allowing people to continue practicing as abortion providers, even though they have dozens of health code violations against them or even malpractice accusations or whatnot. Um, The amount of protecting that the state of California and other states are doing for abortion providers in some ways, believe it or not, is encouraging that they know that they're on the ropes, right? This is a bit of a gut punch when you're about to get knocked down, I feel like. Obviously, we're a long ways away from winning the culture war on the abortion issue. Um, but that that's a little bit of what comes to my mind. And uh, just as a final thought, <laughs> again, kind of making me chuckle, for those of you who haven't tuned into our episode with Mark Crutcher, um, the executive director and founder of Life Dynamics, um, do so because we talk a little bit about his hilarious and very cathartic comic book that he put together a long time ago called Bottom Feeders, where they basically turned a whole bunch of like lawyer jokes into abortionist jokes to just undermine the dignity, if there is any dignity of being an abortion provider. I really hope that he sends out another round of Bottom Feeder comics to all of the people going into med school right now so that they understand 
that if you are a strong candidate, you can serve the world, you can serve the health of the nation in so much better capacities than being an abortion provider. And so if for some reason you are happen to tune into the show and you're an abortion provider in California or thinking about being one and somehow you've stumbled into the show and you've listened to like 25 minutes of it without turning it off, um, please don't become an abortion provider. There are much better ways to return, redeem your time. Um, but th that's what comes to my mind, that, that unfortunately this is a step forward for America. It's probably a step backwards for California, for New York, for Canada, for Mexico, and a bunch of these places that are going to be kind of watershed, picking up the, um, the, the bill, basically, for abortion for a lot of people. Um, rich people are going to be able to get abortions whenever they need it. They'll just have to travel further. We, through the rest of the world, yes, the folks of Kentucky and Ohio and Florida and whatever need to keep working to further advance pro-life legislation. We, who are less fortunate and less far into our race, if that makes sense, the, the abortion conversation, we need to work incredibly hard to make sure that we don't become um, the, the abortion destination of the globe sort of thing. So if you're in California, Canada, Mexico, wherever you're at, um, let's double down in 2022. Perfect. That Mark Crutcher episode, Cam, is episode 72. I would really recommend uh, checking that out. He has some fantastic stories from his 40 years in the pro-life movement, exposing what's been happening in the abortion industry, behind abortion industry doors. Another episode I thought of as well was a recent one we just did with uh, a colleague in the movement, Seth Gruber. Uh, he is in California now, working in California, um, really going to the, the worst part, uh, as it were, of the United States in terms of the abortion rate and doing what he can to, to raise up churches. That was a solid episode and I highly recommend that. And since we're at the end of the show, uh, there's a few other episodes I'd like to recommend. The last, some of the last few episodes, Cam, that we've had, we have had some fantastic conversations. Now, little credit to us for how great those episodes <laughs> turned out, uh, other than the fact that we were able to find their email addresses and connect with them. Um, large credit to the guests, but some solid conversations, some solid insights into what's going on. Um, the one that really sticks out to me is with uh, Kelly Lester from And Then There Were None. You might know the name. Um, the name? Abby Johnson. The name escapes me. Abby Johnson. That's right. Uh, from the movie that came out Unplanned, or perhaps you read the book. I always encourage you to read the book before you watch the movie. Um, but uh, from Unplanned, Abby Johnson. This is a colleague of Abby Johnson's, Kelly Lester. Um, and the title of our episode is this healing after abortion, sexual abuse, prostitution and drugs. That doesn't even I mean, that gets to a lot of her story, um, but there's certainly more, which includes. Um, so she's dealing and taking drugs. There's homosexuality, there's prostitution, several abortions and um, uh, sexually assaulted as a teen and uh, and child molestation. And. Um, I mean, she experienced that and now she's working in the pro-life movement. She talks about her healing. She talks about the journey she's been on and she, and she talks about the work that she's doing now, getting people outside, out of the abortion industry and working to provide the healing that she needed to so many others uh, who need that very same healing. So go check that out. That's episode number 81. You can find it on YouTube by searching the pro-life guys on your favorite podcast catcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or... Um, I don't know, maybe you're that kind of person that listens to Player FM or Podtail or Podbean um, or some of these uh, more obscure ones. Go check it out uh, because that is a fantastic episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you need to reach out to us for any reason, you can do so on our website, prolifeguys.com. There's a shop there as well, uh, a merch shop, Kim, which is pretty cool. 
Um, sure we have some some sweet items like this this insulated water bottle, which is fantastic. Use it regularly. Um, ProLifeGuys.com slash shop. You can reach out to us as well on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We want to share these news stories with you, not just so that you are more knowledgeable about what's happening. Of course, knowledge is important, um, but we want you to use this knowledge as you advocate for preborn children. We want this to to complement the work that you're doing. If you're involved in the pro-life movement actively, having those conversations, seeking to change the minds of those who have a different worldview and a different position on abortion, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. If you're not, we want to connect you with a group in your area. What we try to do on this podcast is provide training, but we can't really provide on-the-ground training to everyone that listens. So we want to connect you to a group. Reach out to us. Um, and maybe you have all these questions or, or anxieties about joining, which I understand because I have them as well. And maybe you do as well, Cam, but I know a lot of our colleagues do. Do reach out to us with any questions that you have. But do join us in the pro-life movement so that together we can change minds, save lives, and work towards the ultimate transformation of our culture. God bless you all. We hope you tune in again next time. Take care. Thank you.